The Hurling Pod on OTB Sports. I love the way Kikini celebrate. I love the way Limerick celebrates a monster, right? To, to go where we actually want to win the next you know, Or were they treating it as just another game, another step stone? That's, that's the question I have. Subscribe to the GA Podcast feed on the OTB Sports app now. Monday Night Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone main sponsor of the Irish rugby team we all belong to the team of us now then you're welcome along so Monday Night Rugby we have an all South African URC final Leinster beaten by the Bulls at the RDS on Friday night Ulster losing to the Stormers in Cape Town on Saturday Jerry Thornley of the Irish Times is with us hey Jerry. good thanks Joe how are you? very well and Grand Slam winner with Ireland Fiona Hayes hey Fiona Joe, how are you keeping? Great. So I suppose in some respects, if we park Irish interest for a moment, Leinster winning this competition for a fifth straight time is not great for the tournament. And an old South African final might spark further interest among the rugby populace down there in this new format. So maybe not great for Leinster or Ulster, but potentially very good for the competition in the medium term, Fiona. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. Not great for Leinster. I was completely wrong. I thought they'd um, they'd put in a show against the Bulls and they didn't. But for the competition as a as a whole, and especially the fans in South Africa, it's it's going to up that URC over there. And hopefully, we'll see. You know, it shows that the teams like Leinster have to go back to the drawing boards now. And when it comes to semi-finals, finals, how they're going to beat these uh, big packs and have a look at that and probably change up their game plan. Jerry Peter O'Reilly opened his piece yesterday in the Sunday Times with an amazing scene at full time. I hadn't caught this at the time. So he wrote that two minutes after full time, Johnny Sexton was standing in the middle of the RDS pitch alone with his thoughts when Cannon Moody, the Bulls' brilliant 19-year-old fullback, approached him cautiously. Would he mind posing for a picture? The Bulls bagman was suddenly on hand, ready to take the snap. And then another Bull had his arm around Johnny. And another. Sexton did the decent thing and went through with it. From the press box, it was impossible to see his facial expression. I can guess... <laughs> what his facial expression was. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the Johnny Scal. Yeah. Fair play, Pete. Yeah. That's the great advantage of being the Sunday newspaper journalist at a Friday night game. He's not writing under pressure of deadlines for our <laughs> websites. Um, so most of us, the rest of us, probably had our heads buried in our laptops at that stage, as is normally the case when the full time whistle goes. But um, yeah, it just shows you, tells you a couple of things, doesn't it? It tells you. A, what a global legend Johnny Sexton is in the game, and B, what an enormous match that was for the Bulls to beat Leinster. Um, I, we probably shouldn't have been so taken aback by that, but I was I was a little bit in how much it meant to him. I mean, Marcel Coles has played God knows how many times for Ulster against Leinster and always been on the losing side, and he was crying with emotion on the pitch after the full-time whistle. Jake White came back in and said it was like right up there with any of the great knockout cup wins he's ever masterminded in his illustrious coaching career. This mattered a huge amount of them. Leinster have enormous respect in South Africa. It is great to see a 30,000 restricted capacity at the Stormers game on Saturday night. It, it The South African rugby population have clearly bought into this tournament and they've immediately upped the bar when you think that a week before Leinster put on 12 tries and 76 points against Glasgow. And that had kind of become a little bit normal in the Pro 12, Pro 14, or all the various iterations of this tournament. Um, there will be no more 76-14 wins in the quarterfinals, or certainly not in the semi-finals or finals anymore with the South Africans aboard. I'm not sure it's great for the tournament that they become so dominant so quickly, but I do think that... Um, they bought into it a lot more than Irish supporters have when you think that 15,000 Leinster fans estimated went to Marseille for the Euro- for the European Champions Cup final. 
and only a crowd of less than 12,000 went down the road to the RDS for a home semi-final against the Bulls. That also tells me that, as I've said before on this show, Joe, with you, Fiona, maybe we in the media are partly responsible and culpable for this, and I include my bosses more than myself. <laughs> but, like, you know, we don't promote the URC. We haven't promoted the South African teams nearly enough. Maybe next, this is probably will prompt us to do so next season onwards. Does it also speak, Jerry, to the fact that most people thought Leinster would win? Let's save our money for the final. Yes, a huge element of that, Joe, definitely. Um, there wasn't a huge element of that. I think there's an element of it was being, it was shown on terrestrial television. It wasn't covered by the season ticket packages. Had it been, you would have seen a much bigger crowd. I dare say that if Ireland, uh, sorry, Leinster, Freudian slip, if Leinster had beaten La Rochelle, I repeat, Leinster, I know this is live, you can't edit that out. If Leinster, if he'd again had beaten La Rochelle, you'd have seen a much bigger celebratory crowd in the RDS because European rugby matters so much. It's what Irish rugby supporters were essentially brought up on mm. after the Interpros. It just, it just, you know, the Celtic League, Pro 12, Pro 14, Magnus, League, URC, whatever it is, it just doesn't have the same attraction and history and tradition that the top 14 has for French rugby fans or even the Premiership has for English fans. So I think that uh, it's all part of the education process. If this format settles down over a few years, I think the next time Leinster win it, it'll be much more, if they do win it, it'll be, or any other Irish team, it will be much more appreciated by mm. them and by us in the media and by supporters. Fiona, let's extend Jerry's unfortunate Freudian slip there. So <laughs> this was a team with no Springboks, a team with no Springboks beating a team with 13 Irish internationals, uh, which explains, I would think, in part as well, the uh, sense of elation that the Bulls showed at full time. So biggest reason or reasons in your mind, why did the Bulls win this game? Um, I watched the game back again, Joe, and like what I couldn't get over was the the turnovers that Leinster conceded. I mean, the backline alone had eleven turnovers. Um, you compare that with the Bulls, who their backline had only five. Um, it was the I think Leinster overcomplicated things at times. Um, you look, they'll be look, they look, you know, the the media, everyone else, we look at physicality again. It, it did play a part in it, but it, it this to me wasn't the Leinster team that I'd seen throughout the season in this URC competition. Yeah, the players were there, but they didn't seem as invested as they were in other games, whether it was the European loss, hangover or what. Um, but it's it, like you look at, I, I looked at the stats on it as well and, you know, passes you'd, um, Ross Byrne and Johnny Sexton together, they, they both put in, um, I think it was 26 passes between the two of them, it shows you that Leinster wanted to play attack in rugby. I think Chris Smith and Morna Stain, when he was on for the seven minutes, had only three passes in the whole game. Mm. So it showed that this South African team were, were sticking it in the pack. But I just, watching the game, I knew that Leinster, like, it, I wouldn't say they were disinterested, but it wasn't the clinical performance that I've seen out of them. There was errors, there was knock-ons, there was passes going astray. Um, you know, Josh van der Fleer was his usual, like, immense self around the place but then he gives away that penalty in that leads eventually to that last try that he you know high tackle so there was just errors and it just didn't seem themselves it's worrying when you think about 13 Irish players but I wouldn't look at it like that going forward I would I would just put it down to another performance that maybe they weren't as fixated on this tournament and they might have thought that they were going to a final with it So the unkind word for that would be complacency of a sort no? 
Yeah, well, I, I think so. You you know, players don't like that word and, and we're all standing in the outs and it's very easy for us to say this um, when you're looking on, but it just, things didn't stick. Players um, didn't seem to look their usual self. There wasn't, you know, Tyke Furlong. I mean, you look at the bench, Joe, um, you had two, you had the hooker and the loose head prop were on for 79 or minutes and 80 minutes respectively. Like there was just, other than Johnny, there was no impact really from the bench either. That's something we've seen with Leinster all season where players came off the bench and made a huge impact. It, it was almost like Leinster had to keep on a lot of their players because it wasn't there and they just weren't clicking, Joe. Yeah. Jerry. I'm sure they'd rail against that accusation, but it's an interesting one. It is. And um, the first person to use the word, or be to say, I'm not, I don't think it was complacently, but the first person to use the word was Leo Cullen. And in denying it, um, it was like, it, it was clearly there in his head that he brought the word up. I, he also said he'd have to look at himself and um, I think that, you know, they were they were 20-point underdogs. They were 14-1 to one on to win the game. The Or sorry, 40-1 to one on to win the game. You could have backed the Bulls at 14-1 to one to win the game. So mm-hmm. what supports your theory that the Leinster supporters were very expecting of them being in the final. Whether the players were or not, I would just... It was, I did find it curious, and who am I to, to criticise or question the great brains trust of Leo Cullen, Stuart Lancaster, Felipe Contepomi at all, but... If Johnny Saxon is fit to, to be on the bench, surely he's fit to start. You've got Lenz's greatest out half of all time. This is your second last season. You get to use him. Like, why wouldn't you start him? I'm reliably informed Hugo Keen was 24th man and he could be seen running the full training session on the previous day and the Thursday in the captain's run. Again, why wouldn't you start him? And what kind of message maybe does this send to the players, even at a subliminal level, we can get by with Johnny in the bench here. It, it, there is almost a hidden message in this that, you know, we're not going full bar, we're not going full tilt at this. Yeah. And uh, I think that might have been a contributing factor as well. So when Leo Cullen talks about complacency, maybe he might, he, he, he did say, you know, he would have to look at himself and all of this as well. I think um, the other thing for me, Joe, just being at the game and watching it, I felt really... Uh, concern for Lens's chances from the very first time they went deep inside the 22 and the way that the Stormers repelled them. I didn't do the tally on how many times each side went into the opposite from 22 and I'm not surprised by the utter lack of imagination in the in the Bulls game in the, the way they played. I think, you know, Lens scored two wonderful tries and Lens are far more enterprising, enjoyable brand of rugby to watch play than much of South African rugby. We saw when there was that um, clash of identical styles in the Lions tour, it was almost a crime against the sport. Um, and, you know, the, um, but I do think that when it came to the one-off power game and then they scored their try and very cleverly worked switch off a top penalty, but that, that they actually just, it, their power game inside the 22 ultimately was the distance, both in converting chances into seven points, be it the penalty try from the line at Mall, but also in repelling Leinster quite a lot of times. Leinster scored more tries, had more possession, had more territory, passed the ball more, played more rugby, but unfortunately lost because they just, curiously, they weren't quite at it and they, they were all, they freely admitted that themselves and, you know, you get used to winning a tournament and maybe winning the first game against the Bulls 31-3, maybe running up those 76 points against um, the Scarlets a week previously did them no favours either, Joe. It often doesn't. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really amazing uh, situation. I, 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 it's going to be a painful summer for all concerned. On the uh, power team, and I do take both your points that that isn't 
the headline necessarily in the way that it might have been against La Rochelle or Saracens those years but it's an aspect uh, to the situation it's not least in the in the 22 I, I suspect Jerry the way you're describing things uh, Leo Cullen was asked about the fact that the power discussion was going to happen again and it's one of the first times really I didn't see him kind of shoot it down straight away he said no it's it's not a wrong it's not a wrong analysis it's not a wrong analysis that power deficit uh, because there are similarities in terms of how some of those teams I guess he's talking about the Saracens and La Rochelle's here and the South Africans it, there are similarities in terms of how some of those teams set up in the game it's one of the great debates really there is that type of squeeze rugby you saw it in the lines against South Africa and that was two teams trying to play that pressure game and what he said was we want to be able to play a more ambitious attacking game because there are other factors trying to get season ticket holders to come and watch the games etc and he said you need to have both parts to your game because if it turns into an arm wrestle you need to be able to play that type of game as well and that's the part that we will always question ourselves but we do want to stay true to the DNA of Leinster Ruby as well so I thought that was very interesting Fiona and they are like grappling these two things like I, I saw uh, Neil Tracy made the point in his um, piece on the RT website he said in 28 games this season that Leinster played so just of those 28 just 8 of them Eight of those 28 were one-score matches. So we're talking tight affairs, one-score games, eight all season. Leinster lost six of those eight. So gets into the melting pot, gets physical, you know, one-off runners, let's just arm wrestle, one-score games on eight occasions that's happened and, and Leinster have only won twice. There's something here, isn't there? They're like this has just been going on for too long now. We laud Leinster; they're not a bad team overnight, but there is like a fatal flaw here, which has crept in. Yeah, def- when it comes down to those pressure situations, you know, you've said that it's only happened, I suppose, in eight times and other teams would have had a lot more competitive games. So you wonder, you know, how come they can't deal with that? They're not obviously in that situation throughout the season a lot because they have been quite clinical in games. But when it got and we saw it in La Rochelle, we, we especially saw it in these games. They just didn't have it in them to turn that game around. And that can be quite worrying. And it's, you know, as, as you said, they like to play rugby and Leo Cullen is right. That's the DNA. People want to watch that, but they also need to find where they can resort to a place where they're able to play that tight game, where they're able to defend, where they're able to get those turnovers. I found, and this game and La Rochelle, that they're they're disciplined. You know, I, I think Caelan Doris, I think he gave away five penalties in the game. That was very unusual for him, but I just found their discipline. They were almost nervous of giving in away penalties when the Bulls had the ball inside the 22. So they weren't going for those big turnovers. And they were, and you can't take a chance. You don't want to give penalties, but it's almost like they're backing the, their defence, just their hits, but they haven't got the physicality. I haven't seen it in those dying moments where they're putting teams back constantly, constantly to do it at times, but then able to turn over the ball, Joe. So it's it, it's worrying that for them that they can't change up the game. Yeah, you can you can play this beautiful style of rugby, but when you're playing a team like the Bulls, you have to be able to defend. You have to. You can't give them the ball in the last 10 minutes. And we saw it in in tight areas because this Leinster team find it very, very hard to win that ball back. There's a certain irony, isn't there, Jerry? Like, oh yeah, you can play some of the most beautiful attacking rugby in all of uh, Europe, but can you do the this? You know, can you make a carry and 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 smash a few people? Most teams would find it very hard to do the former, and the latter almost is perceived as the easier thing to do. Yes, it's also part of Leinster's DNA that when they get within five metres or ten metres of the opposition um, try line that they generally pick and jam their way to success, don't they? They yeah. were the ones who actually were quite innovative in introducing the tap penalty 
when most teams were still going for scrums. I'm pretty sure they were pretty much the first to do it. I think also there's a risk that we can go overboard in this, Joe, to be honest. Like, I that final against La Rochelle, I thought Leinster were much closer to beating La Rochelle this year than they were last year. Mm. I thought they coped much better with Will Skelton this year than they did last year in the semi-final. Um, I thought they... Um, they've improved their attacking game no end this season, but they've also improved their defensive game, their double hits, whatever else. And, you know, so much of this comes down to end games when the losing side is within the score. They invariably are pounding the opposition line. There's just so many games end like this. And it is becoming quite hard to resist pick and jams to the death. The hundred, what does Ronald O'Gara call 150 pick and jams. Dunica Ryan, fair play to him. He can now go back to his La Rochelle players and say, you see, lads, I know it's boring, but it won you a Heineken Cup. But... If Wayne Barnes had given Michael Alatoa the penalty in the jackal, which he should have done, Leinster would have kicked the ball to line, won the line out, kicked the ball dead, and they'd be they'd have the fifth star in their jerseys next season. What kind of debate will we be having now? Yes, the bigger, stronger physical sides caused them trouble, yeah. but it wasn't like they were absolutely pummeled for eighty minutes or anything like that. I do think they were actually much closer to winning that La Rochelle game, and it's also it just comes down to the other factors like home advantage. That was a home final to all intents and purposes for La Rochelle, as opposed to a home semi-final for Leinster against Toulouse. Leinster thrashed Toulouse. La Rochelle just beat um, Leinster. And then last Friday in the top 14, Toulouse did a number on La Rochelle at home. Like sure. it was quite a big win. So, you know, we you, but there is a little bit of, I, I take your point, Joe, take your point, there is a little bit of a disconcerting thread there, no doubt about it. Mm. I, and, and I'm always conscious these conversations are about Leinster and sometimes we probably have South African viewers even watching us on YouTube they can sense so entitled like we're sitting here almost like <laughs> why haven't Leinster won everything you know and it's not meant to be that like, like that I suppose it's just in Europe they've consistently been the team that have been you know be it Saracens for a couple of years and then it's La Rochelle latterly and now Bulls with a similar approach so there's a sense that they're they're not winning what they should you feel like this team should have a second European Cup over the last uh, four, five, six years uh, an, an interesting point Bernard Jackman was in here reviewing the Sunday papers yesterday and, and he had written about this in the Sunday Independent so Fiona we often laud Leinster's depth and they have used 60 players this season, which is extraordinary. And yet Bernard was pointing out, for instance, you take Joe McCarthy in the second row. He came on in the 76th minute against La Rochelle at Welford Road against Leicester. He played five minutes and against Toulouse, he played four minutes. And you take Friday night, Keen Healy came on in the 78th minute against the Bulls. Sean Cronin at Hooker was unused. And by contrast, the Bulls, La Rochelle, they are using their bench. And so two things jump to mind. One, Leinster are not using their bench in crunch games in the same way. And two, when they do use their bench, that is a bench, and it goes back to the previous point, which is accustomed to, com- to coming on, for instance, against Glasgow, Glasgow in October when they're 20 points up. And it's a very different prospect. So that, that strength in depth might be exaggerated a touch, or am I reading too much into that? Yeah, I think, that, um, look, Joe, I think, you know, you're looking at the front row there. Um, we would have said at the start of the season, looking at that Leinster, you know, bench and 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 starters at the time, that they have immense depth. I mean, I think Keller hit them, so they had to start seeing. But, I mean, you've someone like Cronin on the bench who who has, like, so many caps for Leinster has played with Ireland to not bring him on. Um, I think, uh, like, 
87% or it was even lower accuracy in the lineouts. Dan Sheen was immense around the pitch, but some, I think they Leinster lost three kind of lineouts. Cronin is someone that you could have come on and brought a bit of physicality as well, but I've definitely seen it in the games that they, they aren't backing them and to bring someone like Keane Healy, they're guys that are really established and maybe they're getting on in years, you know, but you can't, you wouldn't be worried about the scrum bringing these guys on. You wouldn't be worried about the lineout. So it was kind of, that definitely was something that jumped out at me when I was watching the game. Why aren't you getting these guys on? They looked, Dan Sheen looked dead in his feet. He'd given everything. He was around the place. He carried really hard. He was having a good game around the pitch, but it's it's exactly as you said, Joe, they don't seem to be backing these guys. Um, they're, they're sticking with it. I thought maybe even earlier, Jimmy O'Brien, you know, at full back, he, 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 he carried well, but I thought he was a bit loose in defence at times. I think he had three turnovers. So it's almost like they're afraid to change things at times. They want to leave, stick with the players that are on there, but I felt that he could have done a, a little bit of mix up there earlier on and and backed your bench and definitely backed, even changed a few things on, maybe giving Larmer shouting full back as well would have been another goal. But, you know, obviously I'm not coaching, but it's yeah. it, when you look at the South African teams, you look at the big teams over in England, it's the bench and it's the way the game go. It's the way the game is going that these guys are the guys that are coming on and finishing off the game for you. And Leinster don't seem to have established that. Yeah. Thoughts, Jerry? It's not just Leinster, it's Ireland too. Think back to mm. Paris and both um, Andrew Porter and Tyke Furlan had to do 74-minute shifts. Um, think of Twickenham and Furlan was on the pitch for 74 minutes again. Where Ireland and Leinster are both very heavily reliant on Andrew Porter and this is what he made a switch back to Luzet and to Tyke Furlan. And, you know, beyond Dan Sheen and, and Ronan Keller, the cupboard's pretty bare at hooker as well let's be honest about it and it's not like you can go out and sign these players or oversee these players and they become eligible in whatever five years that's no use to anybody so they can only be grown from within there was one slightly um, one significantly positive aspect to the weekend actually out of the two games for me was the performance of Tom O'Toole I think Marty Moore is the second best tight head scrummer in Ireland but he's injured at the moment and indeed so good was O'Toole um, for Ulster away to the Storms in Cape Town on Saturday that Dan McFarland left him on to the 82nd minute until his legs seized up and they had to take him off mm. for the last scrum of the game but you know, the Ulster scrum went well I thought Tom O'Toole played well and yep. there's a strong feeling within the um, within the Irish setup that amongst the management that uh, Tom O'Toole, you know, can be actually become a rival to Ty Furlong in the next year or two. Yeah. So th- it's not completely bereft, but yeah, the cupboard's not not over. The cupboard's not overflowing. Um, we'll we'll touch on Ulster now. A last point on Leinster, I suppose. We we Ireland get referenced in tandem with Leinster for obvious reasons. So we we try to extrapolate things about these Leinster defeats from an Irish perspective. So what are we saying about this uh, team without Springboks? Any Springboks in the uh, team, Jerry, beating? 13 Irish internationals in, in Leinster. This hot on the heels of the La Rochelle defeat as well. I don't know what it's saying. It's saying something. Yeah, and then again, the B team went over to South Africa and got two losing bonus points, didn't they? And we were, we were wow, look at the strength and depth of Leinster. I mean, we, we shouldn't read too much into one match. Sure. It came in the, amid the hangover of a European exit and the perhaps misleading 12-try route of the Scarlet. So it's a one-off game. Um, I do think that it's a bit odd that that was one of their least effective performances of the season and in a game that mattered so much and that they were so off-colour in so many ways. Um, I don't think Porter, Furlong, Ryan Conan are particularly playing great rugby at the moment, but I think that um, a nice little kind of two-week build-in to the first game against the Marys and three-week build-in to the first test and back in the Irish environment will revive them and um, for what is um, very much a daunting tour, but also a hugely exciting one as well, probably the most 
difficult tour any Irish pro squad has ever taken on in the pro era anyway certainly going about it's not not too far shy of a British and Irish Lions tour to New Zealand mm. to be honest in terms of the itinerary one last point, uh, Leo Cullen said, I do believe on the whole our game this year has come on a lot. We've added right. plenty of layers to the game. It might not seem like that when you come up with nothing at the end of the season, but you get to a Champions Cup final away in France, you're so close. Little bits of execution, but that's going back to the point. We really need to be at our best on the big days and it's just little, little things that we're not quite nailing. They are the fine margins, which is probably maybe uh, the fairest comment. And I guess, Fiona, you've got to say the Bulls, in fairness, they travel up. The URC competition guarantees all these teams business class travel, but the way it guaranteed it, uh, the, the team business class travel on this uh, occasion was four different routes. So the, the players were going different ways and going into different airports. And then apparently the training gear was lost and it seems Leinster helped them out with the training gear as well. And they were training, I think at St. Michael's or whatever. Um, like that's an incredible performance on their part, six day turnaround to come up and win at the RDS. It probably is worth acknowledging that as well. Oh, yeah, they were immense. I mean, like even the the back row alone, um, the Bulls, I mean, even this grabbler at hooker, he was everywhere. They, they just, and could see it, they just came out. Yeah, it was very physical, but they were they were clinical. Leinster weren't. And this, you know, for having such a six-day turnover, all the travel, they looked like they wanted it. You spoke, Joe, about after the game and could see was absolutely delighted. And I think um, they were over singing with a, a couple of fans that were there as well. And to, to be able to come to Dublin and do that, yeah, yeah, we talked about Leinster not being at the races, but I just thought that that this Bulls team were really clinical. They they looked at Leinster. They they saw if you can slow down their ball. They they attack Gibson Park as well, so they done their homework. Yeah. And Jake White really got them in good areas. And I just thought they were clinical and they deserved the win in the end. Yeah, Leinster had more ball, but just to to stick with it and stick with their game plan, and it worked right till the end for them. You just they gave them nothing for free. Sure, they didn't feel it. They went after nearly every third or fourth breakdown. They went yeah. after nearly every single throw. It wasn't bad throws from Dan Sheen, those three turnovers near their own line. It was just really good defence. And they were clever in the way they even slowed the game down with injury timeouts. They must have taken on average about 90 seconds for every line-out throw. It was driving the crowd mental. The officiating was deplorable. Yeah. Absolutely hopeless it was. But it was great to hear the 12,000 Leinster fans in the stadium completely engaged and making way more noise than a lot of capacity crowds in the uh, in the RDS we've seen over the seasons yeah you've just jogged my memory there uh, Bernard Jackman who knows Jake White he was saying that their mantra all week was one in three as in we're going to slow down one in three Leinster breakdowns yeah. Yeah. and yeah. so it proved we're yeah. talking here with Fiona Hayes and Jerry Thornley our rugby coverage and off the ball is with thanks to Vodafone main sponsor of the Irish rugby team we all belong to the team of us Stormer 17 Ulster 15 uh, converted trying the 84th minute Jerry, and this is a home final in Belfast which goes a begging uh, so, so give us the story of this game Ulster led for the majority of it yeah um, Stormer started really well got two um to a line-out mall trying a clever blindside move off another line-out. Didn't convert either went 10-0 up. Ulster came back into it very well. Played, again, not unlike the first semi-final on the Friday. I thought Ulster played the better, the better, the more thrilling rugby, the more exciting rugby. The final pass from Stuart Moore to Robert Balakoon for their first try did look about three to five metres <laughs> forward. I was amazed it was given, particularly in, in Cape Town for the wayside. But um, then Balakoon, they get they get it to the edge again for Balakoon. And his angle of run and his basketball flip pass to take out three players and put Moore over. Really, was a quality player, by the way. And they went in 15-10 up at half time. They, they had the win of the game in the third quarter. Like Rob, Rob Herring comes off a line out and he's hit by their winger and he knocks the ball on about two inches out and they don't convert that chance. And then 
Um, this, the replacement lock, Adrian Smith, is uh, is sent off with 10 minutes to go and they go on the offensive again. You think, right, they've got it again, but they, Billy Burns tried a misplaced pass and you just sense there was inevitability then. Yeah. A bit like Larry Shedd and Leinster, that somehow this was just, however long it took, this was going to get away from Ulster and sure enough it did. Mm. And you feel for them because um, whatever about, I think, you know, Leinster maybe can live without winning the URC for once this year, but Ulster haven't won a trophy since 2006 mm. and they've come close so many times and they've had three finals since then and all against Leinster and none of them at home. They actually qualified top of the table one year and would have had a home final, but it was the year that the old Ravenhill stroke Kingspan Stadium was getting redeveloped and they had to move the final to the RDS and then they lost in an empty Aviva during lockdown. And of course, they also lost in Twickenham. So they would have had a home final properly in Belfast, the first time ever, and no Leinster. You'd wonder when they might get a chance like that again. Further to Jerry's point, Fiona, Dan McFarland, he said, we didn't deserve to win that game. Third quarter was our opportunity to put the game to bed, but we turned the ball over so many times. I always felt the Stormers were going to win because at semi-final level, you can't be so profligate with the ball. So pretty honest stuff from uh, McFarland. Uh, there, I, kicking themselves is right. How do, like Ulster in a way? You think of their season that like to lose over those two legs. Like a lot of regrets here in their exits mm. in both competitions. Yeah, that's the one word you'd be thinking about Ulster this season is regrets. They've had those games where they could win. You'd you'd wonder what the mindset is. This is definitely, I know McFarland saying they didn't deserve to win, but I thought they got themselves nicely back into the game. I thought they were playing some nice rugby at times. The Stormers were, were loose with the ball, but then for some reason, Ulster then started becoming loose. I mean, we saw Herring, Jerry spoke about, that was a huge part of the game for me. I thought if they went on and got that, that score, but Herring knocking it on, I mean, that's unusual, so close to the line but they 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 were physical but it was it wasn't the Ulster team as well that, that we'd seen those errors you hadn't seen I mean Dwayne Vermeulen he'd zero metres rent he didn't gain any ground for the for the whole game I mean the the Stormers back row they were immense Evan Roos stayed 91 metres rent you know they were around the pitch 19 Ulster had so you could just see you know that the Stormers were, were really innovative but I, I, I thought the, for, for Ulster a lot of players were quiet yes they were good on the defence at times but just the attacking rugby it wasn't the same Balakoon and some of the guys in the back line were immense but but for me I think the Stormers were far more exciting to watch I think three players um, in their back line as well were over 50 metres gaining yards so so they, they were playing nice attacking rugby and, the, and their forward and back line into Lincoln play was excellent whereas Ulster we talked about them doing that all season but I didn't see it as much in this game Fiona I know you literally watch every game going on the television so I suspect you've seen more of the South African sides than most is this a sign of things to come in this competition should we get very used to the idea of South Africans dominate is a strong word but certainly being very much involved at the business end of this tournament and and, and winning it as often as not um, I'm not sure about winning it, but yeah, definitely think they're going to be involved. When you think about discussions, Joe, back in September and, uh, you know, the, the start of the season when when the South African teams were on the road, people were wondering, you know, should they even be in the competition with some of the, the scorelines we saw? We saw a big scoreline and can't again. But when it came to the business side of things, and it wasn't like that a lot of, um, you know, national team players came back into it. It was almost like they needed time to settle into the tournament. And when they got back home, I think we saw what South Africa fans can do to their teams and the franchise and as Jerry said they really backed them and you can see the team started to to play you know 
sometimes I suppose South African rugby it's not the the most entertaining but definitely the Stormers for me I like watching them I think they're they're really entertaining I think they they string some good passes together in the back line and I think going forward because we now know a South African team are going to win this competition I think we'll boost them again in the next coming seasons and it will give them a lift that they'll want to go out and win it and prove that their team probably that they're they're thinking you know their, their style of rugby as you said they're out taking pictures with Leinster uh, players but now to see this they're going to think that they're well capable of being um, involved in this and coming up to a World Cup as well it's got it's going to back South African and how their style of play is going to we've seen it in the last World Cup and they'll be sticking with it again Yeah maybe a few big names Jerry go home as well with Champions Cup rugby on the horizon and, uh, Oh yeah Very healthy yeah. situation mm-hmm. Yeah there's no doubt yeah, it was just one little comment from CJ Standard pitch side talking to Darren Kay before the game. At least we don't have to get up at 4 a.m. in the morning now to watch Super Rugby matches because of course they, they can get fully involved in this because of the, the time difference is, is negligible. Whereas, you know, when their time, teams are touring New Zealand or Australia, it would be middle of the night for them. So they, they bought into it very, very quickly. For, for And if they, with an all South African final now and therefore guaranteed the first URC title, as it were, that will only heighten interest. There's total further investment coming into their franchises. It's um, that more, more players will be lured to come home now, maybe. Um, that seems likely. It's all, I think Ebenezer's coming back soon, isn't he? Like, there's no doubt that this. They bought into this, and this is—they're only going to get stronger. You know, they were—they were caught on the hop a little bit in the way, by the nature of the URC this season, by coming over to Europe and having the first four, five, six game rounds away from home and without their Springboks. And some people jumped to a lot of conclusions way too quickly, didn't they, about them not providing much of a challenge for the Irish teams? Well, they're providing plenty of a challenge now, and maybe it's—maybe it's for the best because there's no doubt about it. Leinster, Munster, Ulster, and Connacht, like the like the Scots and the Welsh and Chans. Everybody's going to have to up their game now. Mm. So that's not a bad thing, is it? No, interesting times. Jerry Thornley of the Irish Times, thanks so much, Jerry. Cheers, Joe. Good talking to you. And Fiona Hayes, as ever, thanks. Fiona, cheers. Nice, Joe. Thanks, Emil. Cheers, Fiona. Monday. See you later, Jerry.